Hey guys, Bill here. Welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. We have Lindsey Jones of The Athletic coming on to talk about the Tua Tango Violoa news and trying to pick the best team in the NFL, a crowded case for that. But first, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to remind everyone about another ESPN podcast. It's called ESPN Daily. It's hosted by Pablo Torre. And four days a week, you don't have to deal with my dumb voice. But every Monday, you are unfortunately stuck listening to more of me talking to Pablo about the Sunday action. So whether you want to listen to me every Monday, whether you want to listen to the show every day of the week, which is what I think you should do, it's what I do, you can wake up to the best sports story you'll hear all day, Monday through Friday, with Pablo Torre on ESPN Daily. So guys, go download and subscribe to ESPN Daily, and of course, the Bill Barnwell Show as well, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Now, as promised, here's Lindsey Jones talking about the NFL and the best teams in football. All right, joining me now, here is Promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, a friend of mine, a contributor to the Bill Barnwell Show, contributor to another podcast out there on the internet as well, which I'm sure she will tell you about at the end of the show. But before that, we're going to talk about the big news out of Miami and the nine teams who I think have a credible case as being one of the best teams in all football. And joining me to do that, my friend, Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you? I'm good, Bill. How are you? I am great. Excited to have you on the show. Excited to talk about the situation. Excited to talk about Tua Tango Vailoa going to a starting job, which I have to admit, when I saw that news, I don't know about you, I would say I was pretty shocked. Not like unexpected NFL trade shocked, but as far as NFL news go, I, I really was unexpecting the Dolphins to make this move at this time. Yeah, and I think that was the reaction by just about everyone around the NFL, including okay. within the Miami Dolphins locker room. And <laughs> you know, if you, if you if you follow the Miami Dolphins beat writers, who um, you know the Dolphins are on their bye week right now, so there's kind of some limited access. But you know, you're you're talking to people and you're texting guys, and mm-hmm. it seems like everybody was pretty surprised just because you know the Dolphins seem to be on this kind of upward trajectory right now, and mm-hmm. typically teams only make this move away from a veteran quarterback who's playing decently well to a rookie when things aren't going well. And the Dolphins have kind of made the opposite move. They think that they're kind of built now, I think, to enable Tua to succeed right now. Mm -hmm. And that playing him now isn't going to hinder his development. And it's a really bold move. Um, It's, you know, he he has to play his first game against the Los Angeles Rams after their bye week. I'm not sure if I'd want to face Aaron Donald. No. My first time going out in an NFL game for a start, but here we are. And yeah, the, the Dolphins made the really big surprising move and everybody's excited though, right? I mean, we're surprised, but I think we're all going to be watching because we want to see what's going to happen. Oh, for sure. I feel like it's, you know, seeing how he plays is going to be one of the most interesting stories 
of this season. I just, you know, the thing that I found weird is that I think you can make a case for it, but I don't know if it's the case the Dolphins made. You know, I, I look at how Ryan Fitzpatrick has played. He's played very well. In the second half of the Jets game, he was pretty bad. So I saw Tua Tengelvailoa come in. He, I, I've seen some reports that they were impressed with how he played. I don't want to disrespect Tua. I think he is going to be a great quarterback. He threw two passes for nine yards. Like there was nothing in those two plays. Like he scrambled, I guess, a little bit, but it wasn't like, you Don't know, forget that handoff. He also a had couple, a handoff. couple handoffs to Matt Breida. No fumble. So, hey, I, I, I think he looked fine. But it wasn't as if, you know, it was like the Patrick Mahomes Broncos game where it was like, oh, wow, we have to yeah. get this guy in line if as soon as possible. It just was so strange. And so the, the thing about this that comes to mind for me, and, and a lot of people have brought this up, is the Eli Manning, Kurt Warner benching for a Giants team that had been competitive in midseason a couple of years ago. Now, the Giants, of course, not maybe a couple of years ago, about 15 years ago at this point, the Giants, of course, then went on a drastic losing streak, if I'm not mistaken, with Eli Manning in the lineup. And I don't think that's going to happen with Tua necessarily. But I wonder about Ryan Fitzpatrick's role now with this team. Obviously, he was very happy for Tua to come in the lineup. I don't think that was fake or forced. But Ryan Fitzpatrick can play. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a viable NFL quarterback. And there are not enough of those to go around, especially uh, whether it be as a starter or especially as a sort of high-end backup who would come in if your guy was struggling or got injured. So, Lindsay, given that the Dolphins are 3-3 three and three, and given that they have now – a valuable trade asset in Ryan Fitzpatrick is in the final year of his deal, not going to be the star, you know, the, the, the guy there unless Tua gets hurt. Do you think the Dolphins trade Ryan Fitzpatrick or look for a trade for Ryan Fitzpatrick? Or do they say, hey, we need a veteran backup in case Tua gets hurt because we are a possible playoff contender? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a risky move to trade him away. I I understand the idea of, okay, well, we're going to go once you, once you make the switch that you can't go back, you know, mm-hmm. you can't be, you know, yo-yoing between, you know, putting Tua in the lineup and pulling him out and putting him back in. And you need to kind of just go all in and say, we're putting everything behind this guy. We're going to show confidence in him, even when he struggles, because he is going to struggle. Right. I mean, I, I think it would be supremely naive to think that he's going to come in and yeah, look like Patrick Mahomes did. Right. I mean, he, Patrick Mahomes is a unicorn and it's really unfair to, all these other young quarterbacks to um, try to compare to to what Patrick Mahomes did. So Mm -hmm. I I think that he is going to struggle at times. And I think there's, you know, a lot of things that you could critique about the way that the Dolphins have been playing, the reasons that Ryan Fitzpatrick struggled at times, what the rest of that offensive roster looks like right now. Not that I really want to wade into the Twitter debate from (laughs) from earlier this week about the the Dolphins offensive line or not, but yeah, I think there, there are questions just about, exactly where that Dolphins offense is as a whole right now and how ready it is to support, support Tua. But, but as far as Fitzpatrick, you know, I think, I mean, if you're a really, if you're a quarterback needy team Mm -hmm. right now, I mean, I guess maybe you at least call the Dolphins and see what the, what the asking price would be. But Mm -hmm. I think the Dolphins should hold on to him. I think his value for what he's going to bring to Tua in terms of mentorship and um, leadership and, uh, what he kind of means to that locker room. I mm-hmm. think you, I think you hold on to him. It's not like he's supremely expensive or, you know, that they're in a really, you know, a really bad salary cap situation or anything mm-hmm. that it would help to move on from him right now. Is there a price tag at which you might be perhaps convinced to change your mind about that? If you're the Miami Dolphins? I mean, I, you, I don't know. Somebody want to send them like a starting tackle. 
maybe there's a player, you know, a player involved, but that doesn't, those type of trades don't typically happen. I mean, we just published a, you know, trades we'd love to see, you know, mm. that type of piece right now. And, you know, you always want to talk about these like fantasy kind of trades where you swap player for player, but it really is rare that that happens. It's usually all about, you know, future considerations and, you know, if it's like a, you know, a fourth or a conditional pick or, you know, conditional mid round, late round pick. I don't, I don't think that is kind of worth it. And I also don't think it would be worth some team to give up significantly more than that for mm-hmm. Ryan Fitzpatrick at this point either. Yeah. I think it would have to be like, you know, a contending team that lost their quarterback. Like let's say, let's say I don't want this to happen. Let's say Ryan Tannehill broke his leg next week. Like it would take something like that, where it would be like a team that thinks they're a Super Bowl contender, yeah. doesn't have a backup and just needs like some sort of fill in solution for the end of the year. But right now there's not really a team like that. I know, I know people have brought up the Cowboys. The Cowboys need help in a lot of places. Like I, that's not the first place yeah. I would look as quarterback at this point for the Cowboys. So, you know, I, I feel like Fitz will probably stay. I agree with you. And I think that he's in a good spot. You know, I think that there's, there's a, a decent chance, not maybe a hundred percent, but you know, a, a decent shot. We haven't seen the last of Ryan Fitzpatrick playing for the Dolphins. I mean, Tua could get hurt Tua could struggle. They could, you know, want to give Fitzpatrick, a, you know, a, a game here and there. I mean, this is a team that, like, you know, it's three and three. They're legitimately playoff contenders in a a 14-team playoff. So, you know, the Dolphins could very easily be um, a team that goes back to Ryan Fitzpatrick later in the season if Tua does struggle. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's a bold move. You know, I, I don't I, – I do think that, that the best thing for the organization at the end of the day is going to be getting Tua as many reps as possible. So, it could be a thing where they just said, okay, before the season, we're going to get to the bye week and then we're going to make our move. And I wouldn't fault them for that. You know, I, I don't, I think the Dolphins have done a lot of things right. And to me, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt uh, in this process as they go out and, and get two of the reps he needs. Yeah. And you have to consider kind of their, their whole situation. When you look at this move too, this is not a desperate head coach. This is a patient organization who is really playing a long game here. And while I think it would be nice if they, you know, are ahead of schedule and are, are legitimately in the playoff conversation right now, I don't think they were making a move based on exactly on 2020. I mean, this is a very long play here. And um, we also have to remember too, that their bye week, I believe is supposed to be week 11. And this could have been their plan all along was that they were just going to make the switch at the bye week that they had already seen enough in practice. And then the bye week because of all the COVID changes and rescheduling, it was, it was part of the dominoes for rescheduling that Broncos Patriots game last week that, that now their bye week is week 11. So this could just be happening a month earlier than schedule. And it's just because of their bye week getting moved. And they said, we're not going to change our plan Mm -hmm. just because our bye week has gotten moved up a month. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, so let's move on. I think we, we've talked about the Ryan Fitzpatrick situation and we have to me a league right now where there's no block for the best team in football. There are candidates. There are teams who are undefeated. I think we still have what, three undefeated teams and two of them play each other this week in Pittsburgh and Tennessee. I, I think there are a bunch of teams who could sit here today in their, their building and say, Hey, we're the best team in football. And this is why. So, Lindsay, I'm going to go through with you uh, that we picked nine teams, I think. Maybe we'll go through a couple at the end. But nine teams who think, you know, could have a credible case as the best team in football. And we're going to make the case for each of those nine teams, maybe the pros and some of the cons as well. So, I don't know where you want to start. Do you want to pick a team? We'll go from there. Um, 
Yeah. And let's, I mean, I, I, you sent me this list last night and I think some of the teams will have shorter cases than others. <laughs> so should we go from the teams that maybe have the weakest arguments? Okay. Let's do that. All right. So let's start with the Los Angeles Rams. Oh, really? So I, I was not where I thought you were going. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I think there's probably a couple, a couple of teams on here, but um, so you put the, the Rams on, I think there were two teams, two NFC teams that I was like, Ooh, I'm not sure if these two teams belong here, but so the Los Angeles Rams, I think a week ago or even mm-hmm. five days ago, I probably would have said, sure, let's, let's make that case. Mm-hmm. But certainly disappointed in the way that they played um, on Sunday night against the 49ers. And I think it, it has me rethinking that I'm not, you know, throwing them out. I still think that they belong within this like top 10 group in the NFL right now, but I'm questioning, you know, just how deep of a run they could make. And in terms of, you know, that division is so good. We're not even going to be talking about the Arizona Cardinals right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that they have, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why they're going to be a really difficult team to play. So Mm -hmm. the fact that the Rams struggled in their first NFC West game against the Niners who had not been playing well, has me seriously questioning kind of the long-term plans here for the Rams and just what maybe what their ceiling is now. Yeah. I think that's fair. You know, you look at their record, they're four and two. That's good. At the same time, do you know who their four wins have been against? They are the NFC East champions. (laughs) The NFC East champions. They beat the worst division in the history of football. They swept the the worst division in the history of football through four games. And, of course, the rest of the teams in the NFC West still have more games to come against the NFC East. We saw what the Cardinals did to the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. I mean, it's, you know, those could just be four automatic wins for each of the teams in this division, and the Rams just could have got to those four wins first. I, I I will say, even given the fact that they were playing the NFC East, I, I think the ceiling for this team from what we've seen is pretty high. I mean, the offense looks, yeah. you know, for long stretches back to their 2018 cells. Even last week against the Niners, it felt more like the Rams were just kind of making their own mistakes as opposed to being stopped by the Niners. It was more sloppy football than uh, necessarily you know, that they were up against a, a, a better team to me. That doesn't mean that they're a great team now. Of course, the Rams could, you know, you don't want to beat yourself and the Rams were beating themselves, I felt like. But, um, you know, I do feel like they were very impressive on offense for stretches so far this year. Brandon Staley, their new defensive coordinator, has done a very good job. I mean, taking over for Wade Phillips is not easy and this defense was not as good a year ago uh, as people might have, you know, suggested given their, you know, their, their track record and their players and the defensive coordinator. And I think he's done a really good job. I think they're much better on defense this year. They look much stouter. They have a very young secondary and that secondary is playing very well. Um, and I think their biggest problem was kicker. You know, I, I felt like uh, mm-hmm. Sam Sloman had kind of struggled. They just picked up Kai Forbath, who I think is going to be an upgraded kicker. So that could, you know, help them on the margins. I, I do think they're, maybe a cut below some of the other teams on this list, but I do think they would not have been the team I would have chosen as the, as, as the worst of these nine teams. Yeah. And I don't want, you know, I don't want this to be coming off. Like I'm just ragging on the Rams. I just think when we're, when we're kind of going through the list, you know, when I do, when I do my power rankings, I always go from like, the bottom to the top and end with number one. Um, I know there can be some debate about that. If you should put number one first, I always like to go in reverse order from worst to first. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I think you're right about the Rams defense and they do have the best defensive player in football, maybe arguably the 
one of the probably best three players in all of football Mm -hmm. and Aaron Donald. I think the Niners did a pretty good job on him last week. Um, And what was concerning a little bit about that was that when teams are able to focus on Aaron Donald, what else are they doing in that front seven? And nobody else was able to get pressure outside mm-hmm. of Aaron Donald. And that was, that was a little bit concerning to me. Um, but I think that'll get better because he's going to, he's more often than not, he's going to wreck games and he's probably going to wreck a lot of games this year. And I mean, he's got to be the favorite for defensive player of the year once again, which is just bonkers how he keeps doing that year after year after year. So, you know, I think that's the case for the Rams, right. And in addition to what you already said is that they mm-hmm. have, you know, an elite, elite, elite player in Aaron Donald, they have one of the best corners in Jalen Ramsey. And then they have an offense that I think when it's clicking and it wasn't clicking last week. And right. those, those misses between Jared Goff and Cooper cup, those are uncharacteristic. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are mistakes that they don't typically make. I think more often than not, they are going to connect on those passes. Cooper cup is not going to drop that pass in the end zone, mm-hmm. all of those sorts of things. So, you know, their ceiling should still be pretty high, but I'm going to put them, um, you know, as one of the wild card teams coming out of the NFC right now. Mm-hmm. Very fair. Now, who do you have as the eighth team on this list? So this is probably who you thought I was going to say, right? And it's the Chicago Bears. It is the team I thought you were going to say is the ninth team. Okay. <laughs> and that's, and that's, but they're five and one, which is insane. I cannot believe they're five and one. Um, you know, I think when they were, you know, a couple weeks ago, I think we just kept saying, okay, well, at some point this is all going to fall apart, but mm-hmm. somehow they keep winning you know, I don't know if beating the Panthers is like a great win, mm-hmm. but the, the the ways that they've won, I mean, if you want to make the case for them, right. And this is mm-hmm. about making the case for them and not making yes. the case against them, I guess right. mm-hmm. the case for them is that their defense is legitimately really good. For sure. And their red zone defense is insanely good. And, you know, Chuck Pagano seems to have unlocked something in his second year that, you know, maybe last year was just this, you know, this weird kind of transitional year as they were mm-hmm. moving from Fangio to Pagano and figuring out some new personnel and a lot of changes in their secondary. Mm-hmm. But now they they really seem to have figured something out and is enabling them to win even when their offense is inconsistent. Mm-hmm. That's Maybe a, is that an okay word to use? That's <laughs> okay. very I would say that's a thoughtful way to describe uh the the Bears offense is inconsistent. Yeah, I mean whatever you want to say about the offense, whatever you want to say about their record, you have to say this defense is legitimately very, very good. And, you know, the red zone defense is a really good uh, point you brought up. I mean, it has been, I think, what's won them games. That's tough to keep up. I mean, they're allowing touchdowns, I think, on about 36% of opposing drives. It's just, it's, it's almost impossible to be that good over the entire season. But it's been good enough to have them win five of their first six games. So even if it does take a step backwards, even if nothing else changes about this team, even if they're just a 500 team the rest of the way, that's an, a nine. How much is that? They're five and one now, six, ten. That, that would be uh, a 10 and five team, if I'm not mistaken, or 10 and 16, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a playoff team in the NFC. I think they've done enough to already sort of push their way in for a team that I don't think a lot of people were expecting to be, you know, sort of a team that was going to be basically a lock to make the postseason after six games. And I think you have to give the defense a ton of credit for that. I mean, the, the defense is not the the one tossing up, you know, prayers of interceptions where you have three different defenders running into each other and the ball bounces into Allen Robinson's hands or, you know, that's, that's not on the defense that's on the offense. And I think. I mean, that looked 
that was a brilliant play. That's exactly it's how they genius. designed it. It's genius that Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky have uh, managed to harness in a way that no other quarterback really has. I the thing I would say is this: like the defense is great. I would expect the Redstone defense to take a step backwards, but is there not a chance that this offense improves as the season goes along? I mean, Nick Foles is, you know, someone we know where he gets hot. He is a very effective quarterback. He has not been hot so far, but wouldn't shock me if he had a three or four game where he was, you know, got hot. And what was the hot guy? Uh, Mitch Trubisky is a guy is sort of similar, not to the same extent as Foles, but when he's confident, when he's playing well, we saw it in the fourth quarter of that game, uh, in week one against the Lions for stretches a couple of years ago. I mean, he can be a very good quarterback in, in the right situation. And so with the Bears, you know, I sort of wonder if, if okay, we're going to be sitting here thinking, okay, well, the defense can't be this good in the right zone, can't be this good on third down. But if the offense overcomes that and does improve, this team could still win a lot of football games. Yeah, and their defense is good enough. And even if they do take a, a step back in the red zone at some point, their defense is good enough that they're going to be in mm-hmm. just about every game that they're For in, sure. you know, that they're not going to, they're not going to be getting blown out. So that's going to open up the door that if there's, if all you need is one hot quarter from Nick Foles, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, a couple ridiculous weird circus plays from Allen Robinson, that might be enough. And you know, for the history of the Chicago Bears, right? I mean, when they've been good, when they've, you know, won championships, they haven't won because they've been great on offense. This is just mm-hmm. how, organizationally how they win games forever. So I, I imagine that there's a lot of confidence in that building right now that, that says, we'll be fine. We mm-hmm. can we can win this division now. And I'm sure they watched that uh, that Bucks, uh, the Bucks-Packers game the other day and said, all right, like we can really win this division now. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, whenever the uh, the Bears and the Packers play again, because I think that'll be a really, a really, really telling game about just exactly where this Bears, um, this Bears team is and really what the, the power structure is like in that NFC North. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they play week 12 and then week 17. That could be for the division in Chicago, uh, Packers, Bears, week 17. Nothing bad has ever happened in a Bears-Packers game at Soldier Field in Week 17 before to decide the NFC North. So uh, would it be... I still... I wrote... I, it was, gosh, what was it? It was probably 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember exactly which year it was. But I had this... I was working at USA Today and had this whole story written about Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall finally making the playoffs. Oh, together. no. They'd never, you know, they'd never made the playoffs. And then I just hit the delete button and Randall Cobb <laughs> cut that touchdown. <laughs> It was such a good story. Oh, I had no. all the history from, you know, all their times in Denver and their collapses and all the times they'd come close and delete. <laughs> oh, so sad. <laughs> yep. Um, so let's hope it doesn't happen again this time for Bears friends. But we do get eight versus nine this week. Bears Rams is the Monday night game. And the Rams are five and a half point favorites at home. So we will see the battle for eight tonight or on Monday, on Monday night football coming up this week. Lindsay, who do you have? Wasn't the last time the Bears Rams played on a primetime game? Wasn't that when Mitch Trubisky was like crying on the sideline? Uh, was it? I was that last year? They that did happen. Were they playing the Rams last year? They did play the Rams last year. I was thinking of. I think that's when that happened. Didn't they bench? They benched him late. Yes, and they yes, brought in. He had the like neck, Daniel, and he was yeah. They yeah. said he had a neck injury, and it was like, oh yeah, he just happened to have a neck injury. And Matt Nagy talked to him and consulted him for five minutes on the sideline about this 
uh, minor neck injury that he was questionable to return with. I was thinking of the game from 2018 where the Bears uh, basically destroyed Jared Goff like he was through yeah. Lions then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, two very memorable games for the Bears and Rams the last two years. So hopefully this game on Monday night will be a third. Lindsay, who do you have as the seventh team on our list? All right, let's go seventh, our seventh team here. Um, and now I think we're getting to like a lot better teams. I'm a, let's, let's just stick in the NFC right now. I'm going to go okay. with the Packers. Okay. Um, very down on the Packers after that kind of debacle in Tampa mm-hmm. last week. I just, I think it revealed kind of all the concerns that we maybe had about the Packers heading into this season that were kind of we've overlooked over the first over the first month of the season when they were scoring you know 70 points a game or whatever it was you know we realized that their run defense was really bad that they're off they didn't have very much offensive line depth and now that's mm-hmm. going to be worse with Bakhtiari getting injured um you know and then the the skill position players you know outside of being really creative with the running backs still not that great outside of um Devontae Adams so mm-hmm. You know, I, I do now have some like long-term questions about Green Bay, but I think the case that you can make for them is that we've seen already what they can do when everything is working mm-hmm. and you have one of the two or three or four, I don't know, if, I don't know if this needs to be a quarterback ranking podcast here today, <laughs> but you still have one of the, the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL, one of the best of all time who has been playing kind of at his peak level through the Mm -hmm. first month of the season. So that's the case is that, you know, they've shown that they can win and win big with their, their, as currently constructed. Um, It's just my question now is, can they overcome some of these kind of fundamental flaws uh, to, to get back on track to win this division? Yeah. I have to admit, I don't know. You, you of course covered this game for several years now. I, I, I can't recall a game where a quarterback was playing as well as Aaron Rodgers had heading into the game. And honestly, he was great in the first couple drives of this game. And then from the moment he threw that pick six, the Packers offense just collapsed. I I can't think of a situation where like one interception or one mistake led to a team just sort of, you know, just looking like a shell of themselves for the remainder of the game. And I think losing Bakhtiari is part of it. I think getting behind is part of it. But I, I just, I can't remember a situation where it was that stark of a difference. Yeah, I make, it really makes me wonder, like, what happened if everybody just had their confidence completely shaken? Or, I mean, yeah, because it's really rare to see that flip, that that flip switch, mm-hmm. switch flip, switch flip. <laughs> Sorry, I need more coffee. Um, yeah, it's really weird to see that because you know what these great quarterbacks generally are so good at doing is. Mm-hmm you know, you forget about those mistakes. You know, you, you don't let one interception, you know, change the way that you're playing or change the way that you're calling a game. If you're the coaching mm-hmm. staff and um, to see him throw the pick six and then get picked off so quickly there right after that, you know, it was stunning because those are just the mistakes that Aaron Rodgers doesn't make. And, right. you know, when, when Rodgers does make mistakes, those are not, that's not what it is. It's sometimes it's, you know, being a little too aggressive or he's missing some throws or whatever. It's not the, the, back-breaking type of mistakes, mm-hmm. which were the ones that he made against Tampa. And I think Tampa deserves a lot of credit for that. And we're going to talk more about the Bucks here in a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was very bizarre. It felt so out of character. And, you know, it really did make me wonder kind of exactly who this Packers team is. You know, I think there were times that it felt a little bit like the NFC championship game from last year and not in that, you know, 
Aaron Rodgers had made mistakes in there, but it just felt like it started to snowball and that the mm. Packers were just completely helpless to stop it once, once that snowball started. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that did not turn the ball over once over the first four games of the season. And then almost through two pick sixes uh, in, in two drives. Aaron Rodgers, who's thrown two pick sixes in his entire career, I believe, before the Bucks game, almost through two on two consecutive drives. So, I mean, I think you have to give Todd Bowles a lot of credit. We'll get to that when we get to the Bucks section, I'm sure. But, you know, I, I do think we sort of saw, hey, when everything is right for this team, they're really impressive. But when things go even slightly wrong and the defense does struggle, they're going to have problems. And the defense, you know, this is a bad defense right now. It ranks 30th in DVOA through five games. Like, that's not, like, it's not like it's like, you know, this was their first bad game or, you know, they, they just were bad in garbage time. Like, DVOA adjusts for all that. And they were a mess. They have been a mess this year. And I haven't had Kenny Clark for part of that time. But, like, you know, we, we saw that Niners game last year. Aaron Rodgers played fine in that game. And the Packers were destroyed because uh, their defense just could not hold up against the run. And the Bucs are not a dominant running team and were able to run the football. Um, I, I absolutely think that the defense has to play better because Aaron Rodgers is not going to play better than the guy we saw from the first four games of this season. Now, Lindsay, here's what I will say. If you're a Packers fan, I look at the next month of their schedule. I'm not that concerned because they are at Houston. They host Minnesota. They're at San Francisco and they host Jacksonville. So wouldn't shock me if even given this loss, we're still sitting at a pack, we're still sitting here, uh, you know, when we get to the Colts game on November 22nd, looking at a Packers team that's either eight and one or seven and two. And that they're going to be fine. I think they're still going to be in position to come away with the top seed in the NFC. Well, and this is, isn't this kind of how we were looking at the Packers last year, too, where, you know, they won a lot of games, their schedule wasn't particularly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, we kind of wondered the whole year, like, are they legit good? What's it going to be like? And then they ran into that, you know, that buzzsaw that was the Niners defense in the postseason, and they were just not competitive. And I'm just not sure if they've done enough to make themselves better in the mm-hmm. important games. And so far, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen them... Um, be any different and mm-hmm. be in a position to beat the good teams yet. So I'm just, I'm really excited for those Chicago games later in the year. And let's just kind of fast forward through the, uh, those bottom beating teams on their schedule to get to the more meaningful games in November and December. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Who do you have at six? All right. I guess we could move into, um, should we move into the AFC now? We've done, we've done a lot of NFC. This like pains me a little bit to say, but how about the Ravens? Oh, okay. Is that crazy? I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not, this isn't like a hard and set power rankings, no. but I kind of want to talk about the Ravens now, because when I look at the other teams that are at the top of the AFC, mm-hmm. I think Baltimore maybe has the most, the, the more places that you could punch holes in their case for being the best team. Although they are number two in overall DVOA mm-hmm. right now, which is, which is pretty good. There's a significant gap between them and the number one team, sure. um, but they, you know, they, they're number four in defensive DVOA and where are they on offensive DVOA? They here? are, they are they're not they, in the top 10. There are 22 in offensive DVOA. So that's concerning, yes. right? I mean, this Ravens team should be, you know, when we think of who the Ravens are and based on who they were last year and who their personnel is, 
they should be one of the top 10, top five offenses in the NFL. And we're just not seeing that on a week-to-week basis. So that's why I have them a little bit lower, just maybe that second tier down in the AFC right now. Um, You know, the case for them is that their defense has been playing really well, considering how many questions there may be. You know, I I think if we were going to think about where the Ravens at after six weeks, Mm -hmm. we would probably assume that it would be flipped. Right. Right. That their offense would be a top five offense and their defense would be, you know, middle of the NFL somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of spaces they still need help, though. And I'm really, really curious if Eric DaCosta is going to look at where his team is at right now, know that they're in a Super Bowl window right now. And if he's going to go out and be aggressive and try to make some sort of move Mm -hmm. uh, at the trade deadline or before the trade deadline, whether that's to acquire offensive line help see if he can do something on the interior of that offensive line. Mm-hmm. If there's a wide receiver that he might be able to add, that's going to just kind of be like a true deep threat. Number mm-hmm. one wide receiver type guy, or if there's a pass rusher, yeah, we know uh, that they were out there looking for pass rushers before the year. So mm-hmm. let's see, let's see what Eric DaCosta might be able to do, because I think there's, they, I think they legitimately are like one elite player addition away from being in that right back up into that top tier with the other AFC teams that we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I think they have, how can I put it? You know, I, I, I think their defense is legitimate. They're fourth in defensive DVOA, uh, first in special teams DVOA. They're 18th in offensive DVOA, not 22nd. I apologize, but still way below what we would have expected heading into the season. But to me, I think about, okay, well, we know Lamar Jackson is good. We know Lamar Jackson is, has MVP caliber ceiling. Now he's not going to be, you know, he's probably not going to be as good as he was a year ago. Um, just because he was so good that like, it's hard to be that good year after year. Um, I, I don't think that like teams have figured him out. I don't think that he's suddenly like a fraud. Like I, I don't buy that argument. I do think that they're, you know, not, you know, uh, that the offense is not going to be quite as effective, but, to me, I, I would expect the offense to take a step forward more than I would the defense to take a step backwards. Um, and I look at how they've played this year. I know that there's some grumbling about, oh, well, the offense isn't firing at a high level. Like, you know, they're still 5-1. and one, And outside of the Eagles game last week, their wins have been dominant victories, not against great teams, Cleveland, Houston, Washington, and Cincinnati, but they've done what they needed to do. And even in the Eagles game, you know, it was a blowout until the Eagles got a couple late touchdowns against that defense and maybe not playing, you know, playing mostly a prevent defense until that final drive. And they got a long, I believe, pass interference call. Um, but I, I sort of wonder, you know, like, what if they don't get that guy? You know, because there's not going to be a lot of teams who are desperate to trade away really talented players to the Ravens. You got to figure most of the teams in the AFC who are competing for a Super Bowl aren't going to want to do it. You would think yeah. that. Um, you know, there might be teams like the Jets and Texans, maybe the Falcons would be teams who are in line to maybe make some trades, but the Ravens don't have a ton of captures, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, those teams don't have a ton of super talented players unless suddenly, you know, Julio Jones gets traded and the Falcon and the Ravens think they have the space to make it work. Um, the Ravens have actually negative $1.4 million in cap room, according to spot track, which is yeah. a little disconcerting. Uh, I don't know if that's allowed, but you figure they're right around the cap. So they're going to have to make some room if they want to make a trade. So getting someone like a Julio Jones might be tough. Maybe they can get a, a cheaper receiver to sort of add to their lineup there. But, um, you know, I sort of wonder, do you think they have that sort of ceiling on offense if they do have the ability, you know, if they, they can't get a guy, if they, they, they sort of have to go with 
what they have moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I their bar is just so high for them. And I think that we're all being kind of especially critical of them because I think all of our expectations were so high for them because we've, we've seen how incredibly dynamic they can be on offense. You know, even as recently, you know, we've seen them do it at times this year, yes, against bad teams, but we saw it consistently week after week after week last year. And we saw them win in different ways. We saw them keep adding these different layers for Lamar Jackson. We saw him obviously, you know, take over games with his legs, but we keep seeing him develop more and more, you know, elements to his passing game as well. And so I think that's just why when we see them stalling a little bit here and maybe not making those leaps, maybe we're just the inclination is just to be a little bit overly critical of them. And the fact that they've had one really big game this Mm -hmm. year, one kind of benchmark, try to see where you're at game. And that was against the chiefs and the chiefs were clearly the better team that week in all phases Mm -hmm. when they played back. uh, What was that? Was that week two, week three? I mean, it was, it was early in the season, but Mm -hmm. it was clearly, you know, the, the chiefs were clearly the better team there. I mean, they had the better game. I think, you know, Mahomes was, was the better quarterback, all of Mm. those things. So, um, you know, I, in in my dreams trade scenario, I did, I I just would love to see Julio get out of Atlanta and Mm. go to a contending team. I don't know how they could make it work. I mean, it would be very, very complicated and, you know, Eric DaCosta would have to do some major, you know, salary cap magic to, to make it happen. But, you know, I'd love to see them add one sort of element, but the chances are that they aren't going to be able to acquire that type of, you know, number one receiver. I mean, those guys, this isn't baseball. I mean, guy, elite players don't typically move this time of year for all of the reasons that you already mentioned. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think that they're capable. I mean, we know what their ceiling is. Yeah. I mean, they're very is 14 and two. Yes, exactly. And they're, but they have their, they're on their bye week right now. We're going to learn a lot when they come back from the bye because yes. they're playing the Steelers on uh, November that. 1st. Not only that, Lindsay, but Steelers, Colts, Patriots, Titans, and Steelers again over the next five weeks we're going to know exactly what they are like if they come out of this and they are 10 and one or nine and two even eight and three they're going to be just fine but if they come out of this and they are you know six and five or you know there's something very different we're going to see that they don't have that ceiling so um absolutely i think maybe that steelers game might determine how aggressive they are in the trade market in the weeks to come yeah Um, i mean i think it's really fair to expect that they could they could split both of those steelers games mm -hmm. i think they should beat the colts i think they could beat the patriots and maybe lose to the titans i mean Mm -hmm. that's not that that is quite a stretch and then they get a nice little reprieve after that against (laughs) the cowboys browns and jaguars and the giants and the the Bengals. so they really just got to survive that stretch and um i'm sure this is not a nice peaceful relaxing bye week for anybody with the with the Ravens right now as they're looking about what's what's coming up after the bye. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, who do you have at number five? All right, let's uh, let's do our final NFC team here, and that's the Tampa Bay Bucks, who are the number one team in overall DVOA mm-hmm. by a pretty considerable margin. Aaron Schatz got into this a lot in his uh, when he was going through the DVO rankings this week about mm-hmm. just how big the gap is between Tampa and the rest of the league because they do have two losses yes. and I think you could make you, you can punch considerable holes in kind of who the, who the uh, bucks are 
overall and what their Super Bowl chances are and everything. But mm-hmm. the case for them being the best defense in football or the best team in football right now is that their defense is really, really good. They're mm-hmm. very well built on defense. They're extremely well coached on defense. I mean, Todd Bowles should be the leader for the defensive uh, or the assistant coach of the year award. Mm-hmm. I think, and I, I don't think it's even close right now, just the job that he's doing with the Bucks, And he's getting himself back into that conversation to getting another head coaching job, mm-hmm. both with the job that he's doing in Tampa, but then also just what a disaster the Jets are after he's left. <laughs> yes. you're, you're wondering, was this really Todd Bowles' fault? I don't think this is really Todd Bowles' fault. <laughs> um, and then I think we just have this expectation that, you know, we keep talking about these other teams, like, well, can their offense get better? Mm-hmm. I think real there's a real chance that this Bucks offense will continue to get better. And the expectation always was, is that they're going to keep, keep getting better week to week to week as Tom Brady and Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich and all of those skill position players figure out who exactly they want to be and what they're going to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think the Bucks have a, a, you know, a pretty good case there right now. They obviously have to be feeling good after, um, after the way that they played kind of overall, all three phases of the game against the yeah. Packers last week. So I'm, I guess, excited about the Bucks, which is weird because they, they, they can be inconsistent. Oh, yes. They sure right. can. And that's the trouble, right? Right. They lost to the Bears the prior week. And I think, you know, I talked about this a little bit in my column, but there's a pretty like l- clear line in terms of what works for Tom Brady and what doesn't work for Tom Brady in this offense. And if you can get pressure on Tom Brady, he's going to be miserable. And we saw how pissed he was in that Bears game. He forgot how to count to four. And, <laughs> you know, in, in, in the Saints game, he was pressured. I think it was like, those two games, he was pressured more than 20% of the time. And then the other four games, he hasn't been pressured even 15% of the time. Um, you know, if you get pressure on Tom Brady, this offense is going to struggle. And if you don't get pressure on Tom Brady, as long as he doesn't throw a pick six, this offense is going to pick you apart. And I, I'm I'm more concerned about this offense than I am about the defense. The defense was great last year. It's gotten even better this year. It's young. It's talented. They did lose Vita Vea, who is a super talented player, but... I think they have the depth up front to kind of counteract that. They traded for Steve McClinton this week, who's going to play sort of that run-plugging role. And, you know, I, I I really think this comes down to basically, you know, can that offensive line, can Gronk, if he's blocking, protect Tom Brady? Because if they can, I think they're in business. I, I think they have the ability to be the best team in football. They are the only team in the league right now uh, in DVOA who rank in the top 10 i believe in both offense defense no sorry they are they rank seventh on offense first on defense uh another one of our teams also is in the top 10 as well in actually offense defense and special teams gets them in a little bit but you know to me i I think they've been impressive and i understand that their their wins have not always been all that great outside of the packers win they they beat the panthers the panthers and they beat the broncos and then they had a comeback victory over the chargers where they were pretty messy early in the game I want to see what they do over the next month because they do play a pretty easy schedule but three of their four games are on the road they're at Las Vegas they're at the Giants they host the Saints and they're at the Panthers if they can do well in that four game stretch I think I'm going to feel more confident that they're one of the four or five best teams in the league do you do you think that the Raiders who are their next opponent will be able to kind of copy their game plan where they put so much pressure on Mahomes? It's crazy because Mahomes and Brady are just so different. Yes. I mean, there's like almost no, no, there's no overlap in their like Venn diagram, but 
the game plan is a little bit similar, right? That you just want to pressure them. Mm-hmm. And I never thought that the Raiders would be a team that we'd talk about being able to consistently pressure a quarterback, even two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I don't think I would have said that. So mm-hmm. I'm very curious. That's that it's kind of a sneaky, exciting game coming yeah, up to see to see how that defense is going to play against Brady. Yeah, I mean they did a, they did a good job against Drew Brees and the Saints too. Like you know, they, it's not as if that was the one time they've been good. Now in the other games, I don't think the Raiders have been all that good on defense, but we know their ceiling is pretty high. Like we know they can do it if they get in the right circumstances. So I absolutely want to see that game and I want to see how they play. I think the Bucks have a better offensive line than the um, than the Chiefs do right now, but I do think that um, the Raiders are feistier. Maybe I think a lot of people are giving them credit for in defense heading into this season. Um, we yeah, have, for sure. We have four left. So who's who's your fourth team? All right, let's um let's go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. And I'm real close. I mean, I it, the game of the week this week, right, is Pittsburgh versus Tennessee, Has and I think I think you could talk about Steelers Titans kind of back and forth right here. And mm-hmm. you know, I think everybody's power rankings are going to flip one way or the other after this week based on based on this game because right. these these two teams are just so close right now both undefeated we should have had this game a few weeks ago the titans outbreak titans COVID outbreak pushed Mm -hmm. this week this game back a few weeks um but it hasn't changed i mean both of the teams are still undefeated i think just maybe the um the hype has only built a little bit more because Mm -hmm. of what's happened in a couple weeks since they were initially supposed to play so you know i think i think with the steelers we're just seeing that maybe they're the most balanced team in the NFL right now, just when you, t- when you look at their defense, you look at their offense, you look at their offensive balance, you look at the strength of their defense between their, their front seven, their back end, they've kind of got elite players at each level. So, you know, I just, the, the Steelers are just so steady and mm-hmm. they were a competitive team last year when they had one of the worst quarterback situations in the NFL. So I guess mm-hmm. we shouldn't be surprised that they're playing well right now. Um, you know, I just want to now see them do it against good teams. And, you know, this is such a big test going against the Titans this week who, you know, they're going to stress them defensively so much. The Titans are just going to put so much pressure on that Steelers defense that they haven't mm-hmm. seen yet in any other the other teams they've played before. But I, I really like Pittsburgh. You know, I, I think of kind of these other teams, I think they have a legit chance to actually win the AFC. Yeah, I still don't think they're the best team in the AFC, but I think you could make a really significant case that based on the way they're built, their coaching staff, their quarterback, their elite defensive players, that they absolutely could actually make it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, they're the only team in the NFL that are in the top 10 in both offensive, defensive, and special teams DVOA. I might mention that a minute ago. I mean, they're second in defensive DVOA. I am concerned about them losing Devin Bush. Like yeah. Devin Bush is a super talented player, still a little green, but I mean, you know, just giving them sort of a, a monster athlete in the middle of the field. And we saw, you know, after Ryan Shazier got hurt, that, that the best teams in the league were able to pick them apart by throwing at that weak spot in their defense. The Patriots did it a ton uh, with Julian Edelman, actually even before Ryan Shazier was there with Lawrence Timmons there. And then uh, when John Bostick was there, the Patriots had the ability to throw to Gronk, the, the Chiefs had the ability to throw to Kelsey. I mean, there were opportunities to make plays against the middle of that defense. Now with Devin Bush gone, you know, that might be a weakness for this team. Again, that wasn't there a couple weeks ago. They didn't really have a weakness on defense, given how well they were playing. 
Um, you know, I, at the same time, you might sit here and say, well, the offense was playing well, not great, but well. And now suddenly Chase Claypool looks like an absolute, you know, day one rookie year superstar. And I don't know what they're going to do now because Deontay Johnson's going to be coming back and he was taking Deontay Johnson's role. I mean, I, I, what, what do you, if you were the Steelers, if you were Mike Tomlin, how do you, what do you do? Like, do you, do you put Chase Claypool out of the lineup and put him back in that fourth wide receiver role? How do you handle that? Uh, no, you can't take him out right now. Right. I mean, he's, he's way too hot. They're figuring out a good role for him. And clearly Ben Roethlisberger trusts him. And when Roethlisberger figures out that he's got a favorite target, he's just going to keep feeding him over and over and over again. I mean, how do we think, you know, Antonio Brown got to like 8,000 targets during his time with the Steelers. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think you can take him out, but it's going to be really interesting to see how they figure out, figure this out because suddenly they're very deep at wide receiver and that was not the case a year ago. Right. And also they didn't have quarterback who could get the ball to anybody last year after Ben mm-hmm. got hurt, but you know, are you going to do more, creative sets you know are you going to do like three and four receiver sets you know or is Deontay Johnson just going to have to accept a lesser role but you just can't take a guy out like Claypool who's been scoring as much as he has and yes he's young but he's really kind of building himself this he's making himself indispensable and that's a great that's a really good problem to have right if you're Mike Tomlin yeah I mean I, I do think that you know, you'd rather have too many good receivers than not enough good receivers. And I mean, we still haven't seen Juju Smith-Schuster play, you know, in, in the sort of role he had previously. They have plenty of options on the offensive side of the football. Um, I, to me, I, I, I would put them as one or two. I, I think they're, you know, really, really impressive on both sides of the football. I know that they haven't had a lot of super impressive victories. I mean, they beat the Giants, the Broncos, the Texans, and the Eagles by 10 points or less in each of those games. The Browns victory was dominant. Maybe that's just a recency bias for me. They were really impressive. Now we're going to see they play three road games in a row, Tennessee, Baltimore, and Dallas. Granted, two of those games are harder than the third, but I do want to see sort of if they can come out of that streak. If they can win all those games and they start 8 know, I think they have to be the best team in football. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and that's why this next, these next, next couple of weeks are going to be so telling. It's really, this is such a fun point in the season because mm-hmm. I think we, we have enough of a sample size that we know a lot about these teams, but this middle stretch of the season for just about every, all these teams that we're talking about are really the time where the, the real good teams are going to separate themselves. And um, I'm so excited for that, um, that Steelers Titans game. And that I guess could lead us right into maybe let, let's talk about the Titans as the mm-hmm. next team that, has a pretty good case yeah. that they could make for being the best team in football and really has a chance to prove it this week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is their, if they want to show what they can do, like beating Pittsburgh at home, it, it is their chance to do it. I mean, you can poke some holes in their formula. You could say, yeah, they're five and oh, that's great. They won four of their five games by a combined 12 points and they they had to go to you know a last second drive to tie the game maybe that aj brown touchdown wasn't a touchdown i don't know i I think it was a touchdown but some questions and then of course they win the coin toss go down and score immediately um one blowout win was against the bills and the bills are a good football team so i can't fault them too much but you know i hmm. maybe uh, do you i don't know do you think that people like me 
are thinking about the, the 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 Titans from years past, where it's nine and seven every year, and they they win some great games, they lose some really ugly games. Do you think that's fair that people are, or at least I'm having that sort of feeling about the Titans, where I'm like, okay, I know they're five and zero, oh, but I still kind of think they're that team from the past. Is that unfair, given that this is Ryan Tannehill and not Marcus Mariota at quarterback? Yeah, it might be unfair because since Tannehill has come in, they have won those games, the games that they typically sure. would have lost. And, mm-hmm. and I think if it was the same old Titans, they wouldn't have won some of those games. They wouldn't have won that Monday night game week one in Denver when Seaman Gopkowski missed 18 field goals. And they wouldn't have won that game against Jacksonville in week two, where they needed, um, they needed a late stop, but somehow now that it's like the, the juju is flipped and they are now winning these close games that maybe they shouldn't have won in the past. And, you know, I'm my colleague, Kyle Tucker, who's uh, our, our Titans beat writer in Nashville. Mm -hmm. He wrote after the game last week um, that Ryan Tannehill should be in the MVP conversation. And he's been texting Mike Sando and I or slacking Mike Sando and I a lot about this lately. And, and Mike Sando and I have been trying to like tap the brakes a little bit and been like, well, like, you know, this is a team that runs through Derrick Henry and, Mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, the, the, the truth is, is that Ryan Tannehill has completely changed who this team is since they've made him the starter last year. And I don't think he's going to be the MVP of the league. I don't think he even deserves MVP votes right now because Russell Wilson is a human that exists. But there's no question, like, he's legit. I mean, the, the, the body of work, I mean, over, I mean, he almost has 16 games now, right, with the Titans since he came in in the middle of last year. That was late October, wasn't it, that he came in and became the Titans starter? And, you know, that's, I think the sample size is there right now mm-hmm. to say that this is a different Titans team. This is a different Ryan Tannehill. Mm-hmm. And to have some confidence that when they're in these tight games, that they're going to win. I mean, I didn't have any, when, when they got the ball back after, when they got the ball back to drive to try to tie the game last mm-hmm. week, I didn't really have, even though they had no timeouts, I kind of just assumed that they were going to score because now yeah. I'm starting to believe that the t- the Titans are just, they believe that they're going to win these close games, these weird games. I think Mike Rabel is a really, really good coach. And I can't wait to see what is the next like loophole in the, to the rule book that he finds a way to exploit to, yes. to take advantage of the clock and timeouts and all of this stuff. So mm-hmm. I think they're well coached. Tannehill is legit. Um, and their defense has been playing way better than I expected that they would. I mean, everything you need to know is to Sean Watson's reaction to losing the coin toss because he knew the game was over once they lost that coin toss. There was no question into Sean Watson's mind. And I think the Mike Vrabel thing is a really good point. And, and to me, I think Tennessee is such a reminder of how little we know about what does and does not make a good head coaching candidate and, and a, good, a good coordinator candidate because Mike Vrabel had one year as a coordinator. Uh, it was with the Texans. They were, I think, the 31st ranked defense by DVOA. And Mike Rabel's been a very good head coach in Tennessee. And Arthur Smith, a guy who was the, you know, was on their staff, was not notable in any way, was sort of a meme before last year. Is sort of like, like, what is this guy thinking? We don't know what this guy, why does he deserve a coordinator job? And he's one of the best coordinators in football. So as a reminder, I know we love to be smart. Not, not saying this to you because you're smart, but to myself and other people. We know nothing about what's going to make a good coaching cast, a good good coaching candidate, or yeah. a good staff. And I think the excellence we've seen in Tennessee is a reminder of that. And you know, I, I absolutely think that they are a legitimately great team. I think they're not going to suddenly, you know, turn into a pumpkin and go nine and seven by finishing four and seven the rest of the way. 
I would worry about the injury to Taylor Lewan, losing their left tackle to a torn ACL. Yeah. Should hurt them uh, both running and throwing the football. My my only real big concern about them falling off would be if Ryan Tannehill got hurt. And that's yeah. they have nothing behind Ryan Tannehill. They have Logan Woodside, a quarterback, and I think Trevor Simeon's on the practice squad. I mean, that's a, a really flimsy sort of backup situation. Now, hopefully it doesn't happen. I don't want Ryan Tannehill to get hurt, but um, I do think that as long as Tannehill's healthy, this formula works. I think they're going to get more out of Shadevian Clowney and Vic Beasley as the season goes on. They have a combined zero sacks. I think the, um, you know, I just think they're a good football team. And, and I, to me, they're going to be one of the top two seeds in the AFC as long as Tannehill stays healthy or one of the top three seeds because we have another team in the AFC still to talk about. We have what? So two left? I have one quick question about yeah. Mike Rabel. Does he count as part of Bill Belichick's coaching tree? Why not? not? He never coached. He never coached for Belichick. Mm. He just played for Belichick. So mm. do we count him? Because I was going to say he's the most successful, maybe the most successful guy coming out of the Bill Belichick tree, mm-hmm. but he never actually played for him. He coached under Bill O'Brien, who was part of Bill Belichick's tree. Does that so count? Maybe he's like a secondary branch. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Story idea. Story I'll file idea, that one away. Right. <laughs> you you can have that one. I feel like I'm I'm willing to count him because I do think he learned something from Belichick. I don't know. Have there been he any clearly other... learned something from Belichick when it but, comes to he manipulates the rule book and but, the But then does Cliff Kingsbury count as Bill Belichick's tree? Because Cliff Kingsbury played in New England for a short period of time. Too short a time. I think Too you need to have time. a more substantial uh That's Patriots fair. career to count. That's fair. I mean, it was very substantial to me as someone who uh, saw Cliff Kingsbury as the third string quarterback for the Patriots in the preseason. But I get what you're saying. I agree. <laughs> um, we have two left. Who is your, I guess you're going to reveal your number one team, maybe by saying who the number two team is, but who do you have yeah. at number two? All right, let's go with the Seahawks. Okay. So I have them higher, I think, in a lot of in my rankings. And uh, I think I have them higher than DUBOA has them because sure. I think they are a flawed team. But when you make the case for who is the best, what's our case to make, to, to be the best team in the NFC, to be the best team in football, mm-hmm. here's the quarterback who's playing better than anybody else in the NFL right now, including a lot of really good quarterbacks that we've already talked about right, right now. And you have a guy who's going to give you a chance in every single situation in any oh, yeah. single game, no matter how much time is on the clock, no matter how poor your protection is, no matter who else has gotten injured. So, you know, I just, when you think of these things about like playoff games, neutral fields, you know, individual matchups, mm-hmm. I'm just going to take Russell Wilson pretty much every time. And I might be just like blinded a little bit by just how good Russell has been consistently over the last several years, but, and just how good he was over the, the first weeks, first few weeks of the season that I'm overlooking some of these other really substantial deficiencies that they have elsewhere on their team, mm-hmm. you know, their pass rush, uh, you know, being, you know, being the, really the big one, like is their defense good enough to win really competitive games? I mean, they got run over by the Vikings two weeks ago, the Vikings who can't score on anybody mm-hmm. uh, except for the Seahawks apparently. Um, but I just, you know, Russell Wilson just puts them into a different stratosphere and makes every single game winnable for them, despite everything else that might be going on with their roster. Yeah, I think that's the weird sort of question here is that Russell Wilson has been playing out of his mind. Important uh, alert there. Russell Wilson's been playing out of his mind. 
they have to me the scariest offense in football as someone who, you know, if I, if I pick against the Seahawks and I have to root against Russell Wilson completing passes, I, I feel hopeless the entire, every time he throws the ball, I assume it's going to be a touchdown. Um, and the defense should get Jamal Adams back soon from his groin injury. But this is a team with Russell Wilson playing as I, I think the MVP pick. I don't know about you, but he's my, my choice for MVP so far this season. Stunning, stunning. Stun, I know, hot, hot, controversial take, but Russell Wilson has been the best player in football this year. They've still needed two goal line stands to be 5-0. and out. They could very easily have Russell Wilson playing exactly as well as he has played this year, and they could be 3-2. and two. And if the Cowboys situation happened, if the Cowboys, you know, had protected Dak Prescott from, uh, you know, uh, three-man rushes on the final two plays of that game, they might even be two and three. Like, like the defense has been so bad, except for the exact moments where they've needed them to be very good. And then suddenly for like three or four plays, they've been phenomenal. You know, that's a, a tough formula. And I think the defense is going to get better. But to me, I mean, Russell Wilson is playing so out of his mind that it's tough to see him playing this well over the course of an entire season. It's tough to see anybody playing this well over the course of an entire season. I mean, he has a passer rating of 129.8 like that just doesn't happen so you know i i think russ is still going to be the mvp even if he does decline a little bit and and i guess i wonder do you think the defense can take a step forward and be better than what we've seen so far this season I'm not sure if they how much of a step forward they can take with the bodies they have right now. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Baltimore and how aggressive they might be in trying to add places, add pieces before mm-hmm. the trade deadline. I think the Seahawks are a team that has to be scouring right now. They have to be looking and seeing who might be available. And I think there are pass rushers to be had out there. Um, Ryan Kerrigan, I think, is very tradable right now. And probably he's on the last year of his deal. So I don't think he would be super expensive. I mean, I think they've looked in in Gawkway in the past and, you know, with, with where the Vikings are at right now, that's probably worth a call given his contract. Um, you know, I think there are pass rushers out there. So mm-hmm. I would love to see the Packers or I mean the, the Seahawks, excuse me. I don't know why I just said Packers. I'd love to see the Seahawks right now go out and be aggressive and do whatever it takes to get, get a pass rusher because that's really the biggest thing I think that's separating them right now from being a really good team and a team that has the best quarterback in the NFL from being like legitimately making the case that they're a Super Bowl, like a serious Super Bowl contender. So I, I'm just not sure with the guys that they have. I mean, I think, you know, they're going to get better when Jamal Adams is back. He did mm-hmm. not play against the Vikings before their bye. And, but you don't want Jamal Adams to be your best pass rusher and your primary. <laughs> that's not, that is not a long-term sustainable formula. And he was their most consistent mm-hmm. pass rusher before he got injured. He so I, I, I just really want to see them go out and be aggressive and find a way to add another body. And, you know, it's, it's tough if you don't have a ton of draft capital, but when is that ever bothered John Schneider? That's true. I, I wonder if, I wonder if they just go up out of a different way and say, Hey, we can't get a, you know, a top tier pass rusher. Let's go out and get two or three guys. You know, let's go out and and go for depth as opposed to adding a couple of pieces. They already did sign uh, Damon Harrison, I think, to their practice squad. And I think yes, maybe yeah. it's like that where it's moves in the margin to try and get, you know, two or three guys who you 
think can make a difference for 15 snaps a game as opposed to getting that guy like an Ngakwe who say, you know, an every down player for you. Because I feel like that's maybe yeah, more are you, realistic. Yeah, are you wait and see if Carlos Dunlap gets released? Yes, by the exactly. Because um, his, his con- you know, he's probably not tradable. You wouldn't maybe trade for him, but that situation in Cincinnati looks like it's getting really, really ugly and might just be, he might end up that you can pick him up as a free agent for, you know, a million bucks. And, yeah. and that would be one of those. Yeah. I mean, 15 snaps a game, third down situations. So I'm just, I just, I really want to see them add one more key defensive piece who is able to kind of just give them that pass, that consistent pass rush that they're really lacking right now. Yeah, and I think that's not out of the question. I mean, we saw the Chiefs sign Terrell Suggs last year, and that worked out yeah. pretty well for them in the long run. And actually, now that I mentioned that, I believe we have one team left, and that team, if I'm doing my math correctly, would be the Kansas City Chiefs. It's your number one team in the NFL. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, it's a super hot take here that I think that the Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champion, um, despite losing two weeks ago to the Raiders, I do believe they're the best team in football and they're the team that's able to make the strongest case for why they are the best Mm -hmm. team. And, you know, when they're hanging out in their meeting rooms or hopefully they're not hanging out in meeting rooms, that should not be happening anywhere in 2020. But when they're hanging out in their Zoom, that they can legitimately look at each other and say, yeah, we're the best team in the NFL and everybody should be scared to play us and you know, our family should be tentatively planning to come to Tampa and watch us mm-hmm. in January or February, I guess. Um, you know, I, everything is so wonky in 2020 that you, I don't think any of us should feel that confident <laughs> looking super far into the future. But I just think, you know, the way that they play week in, week out, um, the way that they're able to win games. I mean, it's just crazy that they, the way that they played the Bills mm-hmm. on Monday afternoon was it like 46 rushing attempts? Yeah. It was the most ever by an Andy Reid Chiefs team. And, you know, he's been there almost 10 years at this mm-hmm. point. You know, they they can beat you so many different ways. And I think their defense is going to get better. You know, I don't think their defense is great, although they're 10th in defensive DZOA, which I was a little surprised to see that they were there in the top 10 mm-hmm. um, after this week. Probably the way they played against the Bills last week uh, gave them a boost and helped them yeah. climb a little bit uh, in those defensive, the DVOA rankings. But I just, they... They have closers on defense. And I've talked about this before, I think on our, uh, on the athletic NFL show. And while they could get gashed and they have gotten gashed and that's how the Raiders beat them. Just they play, you know, the Raiders had a kind of their perfect game against them. Mm -hmm. But if you need a big stop, if you need a sack on third down in the fourth quarter, if you need a strip sack, if you need an interception, they Mm -hmm. have, the guys that that will come up with those game changing plays in the really big moments. And mm-hmm. it might not matter what happens in the second quarter. Um, and more often than not, they're going to be playing with a lead. Um, it's going to help out their defense late in games. And mm-hmm. look, and you, I hadn't even mentioned Patrick Mahomes' name yet. Right. I mean, the whole reason that I have the Seahawks as the number two team is because of Russell Wilson. Well, mm-hmm. There you go. You've got, you've got Patrick Mahomes who is going to uh, give you a chance in every single game. And uh I think they're the best team. And honestly, I don't think it's that close right now. Wow. I, I think it's close. I would not fault you for picking the Chiefs. I I think it's closer. I, I think the Steelers are in the discussion for me. I think the Seahawks are in that discussion. I think the Bucks are in that discussion. But I do think the Chiefs are a very, very reasonable number one pick. And I think what's so interesting about this offense is, is the idea that like, the best case scenario for an opposing team is what 
the Bills did and what the Texans did. I mean, Sean McDermott was basically like saying, hey, we did a good job against the Chiefs in that game. We got what we wanted, which was them running the football like they're the Titans. Like they ran the ball. Clyde Edwards-Hurler had 26 carries for 161 yards. They ran the ball 46 times for 245 yards. And Sean McDermott is celebrating. And even worse, he's right to celebrate. Like, that's what you want to happen. Like, Patrick Mahomes was not a huge factor in that game until third down. And they needed to do a better job on third down in the red zone. But, like, the best case scenario for opposing defenses is letting the Chiefs run all over you. That's telling. That's scary for how how high their floor is. Uh, when it yeah, comes to it's, it's a really dangerous formula, though, because that means if you're going to rely on you know, making them run the ball, that mm-hmm. means you're probably going to be playing a lot of close games. Yeah. And I do not want to be playing Patrick Mahomes in a close game because mm-hmm. that means he's going to have chances late in the fourth quarter. And it almost cost the Raiders the other day where the Raiders literally played their perfect game offensively and defensively. And it was still almost not enough where, you know, you had to believe that when the, Mahomes had a couple chances there at the end and you know they needed two-point conversions and all of that sort of stuff and they still almost got it so it's really playing with fire if you want to if your game plan is to um you know ball control milk the clock force them to run the ball um you know they do have a couple questions right now offensive line Mm -hmm. depth right now losing um is a big deal you know i think that's probably their their biggest liability right now is what kind of their long-term future with their offensive line. And all of a sudden Harrison Butker is kind of a liability. Um, So let's see if he can get over his yips. I still have a lot of faith that he's one of the best kickers in the NFL, but he hasn't had a great stretch of games. And if you're going to be in close games, that stuff matters. It does. Absolutely. I, the only thing I would say about them that concerns me is that their defense is very top heavy. I mean, they are a team that, you know, they have a few stars and Frank Clark, Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew. And they have some good players besides that, but that's sort of the, the really core of their team. And if those guys get hurt, if one of those guys gets hurt, they take a major drop off on defense. They really got better last year after Chris Jones came back in the lineup. So, you know, I, I do think that they have weaknesses. The offensive line is a concern. I don't know that getting Le'Veon Bell is a positive. We'll see. Maybe he'll be great, but that might drag their offense down a bit as opposed to having Edward Solaire in that lead role. But we saw last year with LaShawn McCoy. Andy Reid was very comfortable saying, hey, even though we gave this guy a starting role and gave him money, by the end of the year, they faced him out of the lineup and, and went with uh, Damian Williams and he was healthy and their offense was much better for it. So I do think that, you know, it could be a temporary slowdown, but I think they're in great shape. And they're 5-1. and one. They Their schedule over the next few weeks is the Broncos and the Jets. That is... That Chiefs-Jets game in Arrowhead might be a candidate for the oh biggest the, the biggest spread uh, in the history of football uh, on November first. And then the Panthers at home. What's going to be like twenty one? I think it's going to. I think it's going to be twenty one or twenty two. Like it's insane. It, it, it's. I really hope we get Adam Gase uh, for that game. I really hope they don't fire Adam Gase before that game. That's going to be like. I'm I'm really excited to see that game in some strange way. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a great football team. And, and I, I can't fault you for picking them first. I, I I think they're also my pick, but it's just narrower for me maybe than it is for you. 
That's fair. And I, you know, I see a lot of them, you know, I, I cover the AFC West a lot. I'm actually mm-hmm. going to go to that game in Denver this weekend. I'm not traveling, but uh, I will travel, you know, like seven miles up I-25 <laughs> to go to the stadium. So I'm going to get to see them in person, which I'm really looking forward to because mm-hmm. as much fun as they are to watch on TV, there is something really nice about being able to kind of see the all 22 live with your eyes and what's going on on the field. And it's going to be snowy. It's going to be like in the twenties and snowing and really cold and gross. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be kind of a weird, fun, uh, fun day. And the mm-hmm. Broncos defense has been playing pretty well the last yeah. few weeks. They, they seem to be figuring some stuff out. So I think that it, it's not going to be a 21 point spread. And then when you throw in the weather and everything that we're going to be having in Denver, I'm, I'm really excited to, to get to watch the chiefs uh, live for the first time since February. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lindsay, are there any other teams I, I didn't mention to you that you want to bring up who you feel like deserve to be in this conversation as possibly the best team in football? Well, I mean, Saints fans are probably, you know, listened to an hour of this and gone, what about us? Like, <laughs> why, why is nobody talking about the Saints? Because, I mean, they were a very popular Super Bowl pick before the year. You know, they were one of my Super Bowl teams heading into this year. And I still think that their roster top to bottom is really good. They just have not played up to their potential yet this year. So, you know, I think they're that one team that's kind of right there on the outside, uh, the outside of the group that we talked about. If we had done 10, I think it would have been, they would have been that other team that we talked about. Um, And is there anybody else you have that we didn't talk about? I don't think so. I mean, I, I could see the case for the saints, but I look at them and they're three and two. They needed a spectacular comeback to beat the chargers last week. They, you know, they, they beat the Buccaneers. They beat the Lions. But they were down a bunch of the Lions early. You know, Drew Brees is, is better than he was early in the season, but I don't think he's still at his usual self. Um, I, I want to see them go on a run. I want to see them roll off four or five wins before I'm comfortable saying, yeah, this is the old Saints team. Because to me, I yeah. think the defense isn't playing very well. Um, the offense is, is, you know, good, but not as good as it was. Michael Thomas coming back is going to help, obviously. So I, I want to see them play. You know, they, they get they get Panthers, Bucks, Bears, Niners, Falcons over the next five weeks. You know, to me, if they go four and one or five and oh in that stretch, then I'm more comfortable saying, hey, these are the Saints of old. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right. I'm right there, too. I just need to see more. And I'm OK leaving them out of our our first group right there. So I think I think it's a good group. There's going to be a couple more teams that we didn't talk about that are going to make the playoffs. But I mm-hmm. feel really confident in the nine that we talked about being in that playoff field. And there's going to be a couple others who sneak in there. Maybe the Raiders, who we talked about, the Bills. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk, you know, we didn't talk about anybody from the NFC East mm-hmm. in that in that top group. So I think there's a couple other teams that are going to wind up there in that postseason conversation. Okay, last question for you, Lindsay Jones, before we finish up here. How many wins will the NFC East champion have? Six. Six. Is that too many? The only thing is they get to play the NFC East three times. They all get to play the NFC East six times, I should say. So, you know, they get they get that benefit. I'm going to say seven. Okay. But I think it's going to be... Yeah, I mean, I guess they're going to have to win because they have to play each other. But I'm not... They could tie each other. I mean, Washington and the Giants nearly last week. I mean... That game should have been a tie. I mean, you should have just kicked the extra point and let it that, and then played overtime and let that game end in a tie. Because, I don't agree. Um, <laughs> I do not agree. Anytime you can miss out on ten extra minutes of NFC East football is a victory for us. That's true. That is fair. And unfortunately, Thursday night football, Giants Eagles. 
this week. Hmm. Not great. We will see. Maybe it'll be a fun game. Maybe it will be fun. I mean, it, I mean, look, that Broncos Jets game a couple of weeks ago was a mm-hmm. dumpster fire, but was also really fun. I don't think this is going to be quite as fun. No, I don't think so either. But I will still be watching as it is my job. It is also your job, Lindsay Jones. And you do excellent work in that job for The Athletic. And where can people check out more of what you do on a week-to-week basis? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at ByLindsayHJones. And then you can catch me on Thursdays on The Athletic NFL Show podcast with Robert Mays, uh, where we will be previewing this week's games and getting into some of our favorite matchups of the week. So uh, every Thursday, catch me on the, uh, The Athletic NFL Show. Awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks. Bye, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to Lindsay Jones at The Athletic, one of the best in the business. And guys, we are all wrapped up for today. More audio coming next week. So thanks so much for listening.